So glad to be here and congratulations on the launch of your new podcast. Thank you so much. So I am, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I, I, we talked earlier and actually I feel like we've already done this show because (laughs) as the producer and the host of this show, I forgot to hit record at the beginning of our show. And so we did a good majority of this podcast already, but the, the cool thing is, it's it's wonderful. I loved hearing about it, and I'm sure that I'm going to be asking different questions this time too. So, uh, so welcome well, that's to great. you know we're, we're we're talking about show business, so this is a retake. Right, I, I'm totally I'm totally used to it. Okay, and that, that's going to lead me into. So last night, my wife told me to break a leg on, on doing this show this morning. What does okay. break a leg mean? Who can say that? Is it a curse? Is it is it is was she okay in saying that, or or was she the the curse that that started the this program today? No, break a leg. Saying break a leg is a show business tradition. You generally are not supposed to say good luck to someone who is about to do a show or record a podcast or or you know star in a movie because that's considered you know tempting the fates by saying good luck so you're supposed to say something else to sort of you know fool the you know the 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 spirits of the theater so you'll have a good show and break a leg there's a couple different um uh, origins of it that i've heard one is you just say break a leg meaning like your own leg, because that would be something terrible. Who would want to break their leg when they're getting ready to go out on stage? So if you say break a leg, you're saying something bad, but it means secretly something good. And so the fates won't let you have a bad performance. The other sort of other more sort of esoteric meaning of break a leg is back in the vaudeville days, um, you would be performing on a stage and sometimes you would you would get an encore and the crowd would want you and they would want you to come back on stage and the side curtains on a stage are called the legs the sort of the long curtains that go right. down on either side and if you quote break a leg meaning go past that side curtain to get back on the stage that's considered something really wonderful. So if you're going to quote, break a leg, that means you're sort of being called out for an encore and that's wonderful. And so that became a whole show business expression to break a leg. And that means good. And anyone can say it to you and anyone, you know, can, you know, can, can, can convey that meaning. Now, if your wife had said good luck to you last night, and you didn't hit record on the podcast this morning, that would have explained it. Now, would you, have you ever had someone say good luck to you, like be, at a instance <laughs> like this when they shouldn't, and then you could see on their face that they realized exactly what they did and what happens in that situation? Well, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. It's just sort of a tradition. Um, if someone were to say it to me, and I'm sure they have, you know, I, you just sort of smile and take it. <laughs> and you but, know in your mind that, you know, um, they must have meant to break a leg. Okay. Okay. So now that we have that out of the way, and I've introduced <laughs> you by name and a little bit by title, I'm going to let you tell us a little bit about what you are and who you are. I will know, I've, I mentioned that we went to high school together. We went to high school at Shiny Mission South, go Raiders. 
uh, in Overland Park, Kansas. And there was a lot of talent that came out of that area. And I'll probably ask you about that at some point as well. Sure. But, but a little bit about, you know, what led you to, to Broadway, what, you know, your experiences in high school and what, what kind of directed you to, to where you are and what you've done today? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I'm originally from Kansas City and we went to the same high school and we were even, I believe, in the same theater class. And I did a lot of theater, both in high school and outside of high school, professional summer theater, uh, amateur theater, community theater, theater just about everywhere, because it was always my goal to be in the industry. I always knew that I would come to New York after graduating high school. And it was sort of what my whole focus was while I was in school. I wasn't so, a very good student. I was a good theater student, but I wasn't a very good academic student. So, so how was the and support it, from your family with that? I mean, they, especially, well, you know, because at least in the 80s, yeah, with with my parent and, and our, our middle class neighborhood where we grew up and everything, or upper middle class, whatever you want to call it, I mean... It, it, it was always about, I mean, at least with my parents, it was always about, you have to have good grades, you have to do this. And they, it, it, there was never any, well, this is my plan for my life, because I, I think they probably already had one for me. So, I mean, mm -hmm. how was the support of your family? Because you knew early on exactly what you wanted to do, which is pretty awesome. Right. So, I mean, how, how was that support? The support from my family was excellent, especially from my mom, but even my dad, also my grandparents, they were very, very supportive. All they wanted was for me to get good grades in school so I could go to any college and they, you know, college to study theater. They weren't really, you know, strict. They didn't want me to have a fallback. You know, I'm sure that that was mentioned from time to time, but I right. think they really believed in me. Um, but they really wanted me to do well in school and you know kids if you're listening don't don't do what i did i'm not recommending this um but i didn't care and i didn't listen i said i am going to get into a great performing arts college because i knew that that was my ticket to new york city the only way i could do it and i you know i wasn't a horrible student but i didn't you know, really concentrate on my academics. I was really more involved in the theater and I did well in the subjects that interested in me and not so well in the others. And I had to audition for college. I auditioned for NYU. My mom brought me here to New York to audition. And I had a really wonderful audition. And the, the person from NYU told me that they were going to accept me after my audition. I mean, uh, on the spot? on the spot and i came out and i told my mom i said they're going to accept me and she was like oh that's nice dear because she didn't believe it and i wasn't <laughs> even sure i believed it because right. they were like you know you still had this because you still had this in your transcripts and your sat scores and all of that so and i just felt like no i i'm getting in for my audition and sure enough a few weeks pass and i get that wonderful giant envelope in the mail congratulations welcome to nyu and you know, I remember saying to my parents, and this was kind of mean, I said, see, I told you I didn't have to get good grades. I told you it would be my talent that got me in. And boy, they ate crow. But well, again, not, I mean, a, not, yeah. not a lesson for you kids. Well, <laughs> yeah, but no matter, you could have been valedictorian. And if you didn't have the talent to get on to NYU acting school, you wouldn't have got in. I mean, it, it, wouldn't it, that, I mean, exactly. your grades wouldn't have, have mattered if you were a... It, 
didn't have exactly. any talent. Okay. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a private university. So, you know, there has to be, they have to have a reason to, to let you in. And of course, you know, they, grades did matter, but the talent was going to be the most important for, right. for that. So, so I went to NYU and. How was that? Was How was going to New York city from Kansas city? It was, it was wonderful. I loved it. You know, New York was a little gritty in the, in the, in the mid eighties, but I loved every minute of it. I could go to a Broadway show every night if I wanted to. And I started in the NYU acting program because that was what I thought I wanted to do. And very soon thereafter, I realized that writing and composing for musical theater was probably where my true talents were and yep. I wrote a musical during my sort of you know off hours right and NYU I submitted it to NYU and they produced it so while I was still a student so on the acting side that's how you got into mm-hmm. school yes. what, what's the what's the selection pro- like how many how, how many people come in like uh, I, I'm assuming it's very selective but if you had the talent to get into acting and then when you get in there and you're like well I really don't have the talent to do this I would or that I'm looking at writing I should probably be into writing you have the talent to get into NYU acting school you understand that right right okay I do well you know, I I think it was where or was a satisfaction can, of, of yeah wh- where can I really succeed you know um, because everybody, you know, everybody was talented and not everybody was going to make it, you know, it's just right. the statistics. And I thought, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that could maybe be similar to me as an actor, but no one will be similar to me as a writer and nor will anyone be similar to anyone else as a writer, because that's a totally different thing. So after NYU produced my musical, I decided that I should apply to their dramatic writing program instead. And so I had to even though I was a student in the acting program, I had to apply to the dramatic writing program. And I got in, again, on the strength of that musical that I wrote. And because it would have been hard for him to not let you in at that point. Yeah, we're going to produce your musical, but <laughs> you're going to need to right. stay where you are. Well, true, but I, I still had to apply. And the, act, the, the acting department uh, was a little larger. The writing department, I think my graduating class was 20 or 25 people, okay. whereas the acting program was maybe 100 people or 200 maybe. Okay. And so I was I was instantly in much smaller classes and much more, because, um, you know, writing, especially at the dramatic writing level at a school like NYU, you can't really be taught what to do. You just sort of have to do a lot of talking and a lot of discussion and uh, and a lot of you know reading of other writing and then you just sort of have to do it so that's what i did I, and I, I find it writing exceptionally hard i have tried to do stand up or not try i i've done stand up a few times and the thing about it is people had always told me oh you should think about trying to stand up sometime you're funny and i'm like oh thanks and <laughs> so i finally decided to do it we actually went to a club one night my wife and i it was open mic night and I did the old, I'm going to get a drink and I signed up. So I went up <laughs> and I got some laughs, but I, I was wondering why I saw other people like taking notebooks up there and they would be flipping mm-hmm. through them on open mic night because they were working through this material. So the next time I did, I go, you know, I can't just go up and wing this. I need to write it. Right. Oh my 
gosh, I am not funny when I try to write. I mean, I just, it, the, the writing aspect, I mean, if someone says something or there's a situation, I can play off that. I could not. So for you to do the writing, I mean, that's one thing that amazes me, being able to come up with the concepts, especially in a musical, because it's not just, oh, I need words for people to say. I mean, you're incorporating a lot of stuff into that. So I, right. it just, it, I if I find it difficult to wrap my head around like how your brain works and how you can see that because writing itself is just difficult on a you know it's just one of those things that comes natural to me writing and composing you know I'm sort of rare in the fact that I write what's called the book the music and the lyrics meaning the the script the words and the music um very often musicals are collaborative like you've probably heard of Rodgers and Hammerstein right you know, uh, is that not, that wasn't his first like and that. last name? I thought his middle name yeah. was And. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Rogers wrote the music and Hammerstein wrote okay. the lyrics. Okay. So you know, it's so, but I write I write everything myself because I feel like the types of things I write need to come out of one you know sort of one mind, one voice. And so after so so I've now graduated NYU and I write my first. Um, musical out, out of college and so we're in the early 90s now and that was produced and from that I got an agent I got a recording deal I got um, I won an award for it here in New York and um, which was very exciting it was my first professional piece and from there and, and you're just, just out of college writing. at this point right just out of college yes and very lucky and very grateful because I was often in the right place at the right time and met the right person at the right time. And, you know, for, for a few years I had, you know, day jobs here and there, I would work at, you know, talent agencies or for theater producers, you know, as, you know, an office assistant or something like that until, um, you know, a few years later when a piece that I wrote that I didn't think was going to do much became a very big hit and it's called Thrill Me, the Leopold and Loeb story, which I thought was very unlikely for a musical, but I really liked the idea. What what, what led you to dark. that? Now, I, I'm familiar with the story, mm-hmm. and I'll let you give the background on the story. I'm familiar with it sure. because I do a lot of research on genius mm-hmm. and how genius minds work and things like that. Mm-hmm. And Nathan Leopold is generally considered to have one of the 25 highest IQs ever recorded. He knew something That's like right. You know, nine la- it was fluent in like some some ungodly number of languages at an early age, and just you know, and and, mm-hmm. and the basis of of their crime, which I'll let you talk about, was he sure. thought he was too smart to get caught. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But so, but I I mean I love the story, but ha- I mean I would have I never read that. I mean I and was like, hey, you know what? I think that might be a good musical. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I have a, a unique uh, take on what would be a good musical. I was wanting, I always write very small. I like writing small stories. And I was looking to write something about a relationship between two people. And that was my only idea. Something, there would be two people and it would be about their relationship. And it would be weird, something like that. And then I had well, another you idea. the right subject. Yes. Uh, my second idea was a true crime story 
no matter what it might be. So those were two different things that I planned to write. And I started doing a lot of research, and this was literally the days before the internet, or if the internet existed, it didn't exist in my house. Um, and you literally had to go to a library or a bookstore. Some people or, listening to this will have no idea what that means. They'll be like, I, I how, know, old, I, how old are these people that are talking? No internet? I know, it's crazy, right? Um, I can't even believe it. I don't know, how, how do we do anything? How do we... How do we talk to people? I don't even know. I don't know. But so I was uh, I was in a bookstore, not even a library, but a bookstore, and I saw this great big book. It was like an encyclopedia of famous American criminals, and I started flipping through it. And you know, you see Al Capone and Billy the Kid and Bonnie and Clyde, and then a, a chapter is Leopold and Loeb. And I had and I stopped and I heard of Leopold and Loeb, but I didn't really know the specifics. And I read this chapter about them standing there in the bookstore. I eventually bought the book, but I read the whole chapter while standing in the bookstore. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. This is a true crime story and a story about two people with a very unusual relationship. And um, that led them down the path of committing a very horrible crime. And I am really glad that I didn't second guess myself because if I had, I might have never done it. But I just thought, realized at that moment, that's it. This is what I'm going to write. I, I'm and glad that they I, allowed I, you to read, read the chapter because people that <laughs> don't understand bookstores don't understand. Also, if you stood there with something open too long, they would ask you if you're going to buy it. Because they exactly. didn't want you to read it. Now, if you went into a bookstore, if you could find a bookstore, and you went into a bookstore and you opened, they would they would cater to. Oh, stay as long as you like. If you want to read the whole book front to back, that's fine with us. Just so it's just it's just funny that when you, I had a big smile on your face when you said you wrote the whole <laughs> chapter, I'm like, I'm surprised they didn't kick you out. So I know I, I I don't know how, but I guess I was sort of a regular at the store. It was kind of near my apartment, so I guess they knew that you know. Well, I you know I I do buy things there, and like I said, I'm pretty sure I left with the book that day. Or if not, I went back and bought it because I have the book. Okay, um, so now you have the catalyst to 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 yes to write this this musical. So then, what happened right. next? Well, I just I start to write it, and I, I I just think it's a great idea. And I remember telling my my agent about it at the time, and he said, well, "Are you sure? <laughs> you know, um, you know." It sounds pretty dark and, you know, it's a crime story. And I said, I am positive. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And I wrote the first draft, including the score, in three to six weeks, probably even less than that. Now, when you write it, is it coming out sequential or do you like think of, oh, here's like, this would be great in the middle. This would be great. I mean, or does it come out like, do you start at the beginning and go to the end? Or I mean, I don't even know how a play gets well, developed the, the first thing i did was you know if this were happening today there is so much research out there and many more books written about leopold and Loeb, and many more ways to find it i basically only had that chapter of the book right so i and it was a really well-written chapter and i had sort of i sort of knew just exactly what the story would be the only question was how can i tell it with just the two of them like there could be no other character in it. So I had to figure that out. I had to sort of and was that just an outline. Was that for simplicity's sake or that, that I mean, you said that you wanted something that just was mainly focused on two characters, but with no peripheral right. around them. Nope. I mean, that, that was you, that was a concerted, I, I want this and, and I just want it to be focused on these two characters. 
the idea uh, yes it was okay. both an artistic decision and a business decision because okay. when there's only two actors you only have to pay two actors True. and it's a good thing i did because you know it's, it's that's how it's been done all around the world now right but so i wrote an outline a rough outline not not the perfect outline but a rough idea then i thought well can do i feel these characters musically let me think of a couple moments that i know i would have to hit and see if i could write some songs I wrote one or two and I thought, okay, yeah, this is working. And from there. So you know when you're little, writing the song, whether it's working. Because oh, so does it only matter? Does it really only matter to you whether it's working? I mean, like, as long as you feel it because you're the artist and I, I mean, are you concerned about the, uh, uh, the critical acclaim at the end or while you're uh, writing the piece? No, when I'm writing the piece, I'm writing it for myself. Okay. I'm writing it for my own enjoyment. And okay. when, when I, when it comes out, when it comes out at all, it only comes out if it's good to me. You know what I mean? Like if I'm struggling with something, I might as well put it away because it, it just means it's not going to work. So if I'm able, literally the mere fact for me of being able to write a song, let's say for a character, merely being able to do it means I'm on the right track. Okay. So I did a little of that and then just started from the beginning and worked on a script, worked on a score and... So do you show anyone it. along the, the way, like your, your, your agent who'd kind of giving you the strange eyes or anyone else that you may have mentioned it? Do you, do you do any, does anyone get any preview of it? Do, do they get to hear a song or do they? Once, once there was a full script and a full score that was at least in a workable condition, I did a little uh, reading of it, read through of it with two actors and myself playing the piano uh, in a, studio in New York City, which is right above the restaurant Sardis. And um, it was the Dramatist Guild, which is sort of like the, the, the writer, the dramatic writers union, so to speak. It was they had a little studio space and the piano um, talk about coming full circle. The piano that I played was Richard Rogers piano, you know, of uh, Rogers and Hammerstein, who wrote, you know, The Sound of Music. I mean, it, it was his piano? Oklahoma. It was his piano. So I got to play the, the first piano, because I didn't have a piano, piano. I only had a keyboard, you know, an electric one. So the first piano that Thrill Me was ever played on was Richard Rogers' piano. And so I did this little presentation to sort of see, does this kind of work? Um, and the response was, was really good, and I continued to refine it. And my agent... Um, started sending it out to theaters and you know i was working to try to get a production and the feedback we got was always excellent but no one wanted to do it everyone was afraid of it because it was a very you know dark Subject story matter. yeah and so i had to put it in a drawer and move on to other things which i did and then finally in 2002 um Seven years of it sitting in a drawer, I finally was, you know, in that proverbial right place at the right time and met the right person who I told about it and was very interested, wanted to see the script. How was their response? Were they, were, were they like, gosh, I've been looking at the chance to help produce a murder play. Yes, Stephen, <laughs> tell me more. Well, looking for a chance to produce something unusual. Okay. So that was sort of, that was it's my lucky break, so to speak. Yeah. And um, so there was a theater festival in New York, uh, sort of like a fringe festival type of a thing that was taking submissions. And he wanted to submit it to produce as part of this theater festival. And I said, yes, please. And 
I all I thought was if we can get it in the theater festival and I can just see it for one night only, see my show, Thrill Me, which is what I titled it. I don't even know if I mentioned the title of it. They they were the thrill killers, so it's called Thrill Me. Um I so I, I let him submit it and it got accepted. And we did the show at this theater festival. So did it, and it was who performed did you perform in the show or was it did, uh, other I, actors? I did I did not. There were two young actors. I'm 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 already way too old at this point, although we're gonna circle back to that. <laughs> I'm much too old at this point and I had given up acting and yeah, had planned so, on ever returning to the Right. Series. So people not familiar with the story is they were what, eighteen ish somewhere in the early uh, yes. late teens, something like that. So Right. So. Right. So we cast, you know, actors in their early 20s and they did a wonderful job and the show got wonderful reviews. And I instantly started getting offers from other theaters. You know, we didn't have social media at that point, but we did have the Internet at that point. So you could read about it on websites and things like that. And it and it did very well. So I got a, an offer to do the show in Boston and an offer to do the show in Australia. And I just couldn't believe it because I all I wanted was that one little production of seven performances and, and I thought it was wonderful and I was I was thrilled so I didn't I didn't care what anybody else thought so then how is the writer and the creator of this when they're wanting to do this regionally internationally I mean you already just know how to make that work or they know how to make it work so I mean it could, you'll so, read, you know Sure. Well, there might be a story about it on a theater website or a review in a paper. Um, and, you know, th- that's what theaters, you know, do. They're they're always hunting for something new, you know. And again, we're talking two or three here. We're not talking, okay. you know, hundreds of theaters that are going to want to do the latest big hit from Broadway. So, right. it's, you know, on a smaller scale. So, but those theaters know what to do. And then once they put an inquiry out, my agent negotiates a deal and they do the show. So by 2005, um, the show was doing well enough that we got an offer to do the show Off-Broadway. And Off-Broadway is basically in New York, there are all sorts of different levels of Off-Broadway. There's Off-Broadway that's sort of on an amateur level, and there's Off-Broadway that's on a professional level. It's just not the budget of Broadway. And so Thrill Me was going to be done in that category. Well, I'm glad a you full ex- professional production, but just smaller. I'm glad you explained that because that's one question I I never knew what off Broadway meant. Because when I'm thinking, I'm thinking of Vegas Strip and then off the Strip in Vegas, right, right. as opposed to, but I mean, it, which is a totally different concept than you know off Broadway. Because I was like, does that mean it's physically just down the street from Broadway? Is it is it just a term that's encompassing? theaters that are not term okay so it's just a term term. so they could be located anywhere they're just not anywhere in new york anywhere in new york city basically if you're a broadway theater you have more than 499 seats if you're an off-broadway theater you have more than 99 seats and if you're off off broadway or you know maybe amateur level you you generally have less than 99 seats that's sort of the the technical term determination for that oh, so Thrill Me was going to be done off Broadway for okay. in a limited run for a, a really great theater company that produced uh, 
you know, two or three musicals every year. And so this was sort of like really big break that I was. And how long are runs are those? Generally speaking, for this kind of off-Broadway, this was a nonprofit that did a season. So we were scheduled for a six-week run, which was later extended and extended, and we ended up running 14 weeks, which was really great. You could also have a commercial off-Broadway run, and that could run, you know, four or five years. So, okay. it, you know, really, it's, it, it could be anything. Okay. Um, so we did the show off-Broadway, and it once again, it got was very well received i'm happy to say we got a really nice review in the new york times and when that happened um the theater wanted to extend the show and we were only just a couple weeks into the run and the actor playing nathan leopold that genius who is sort of the focus of thrill me um we see the show through we see the story through his eyes that actor was unable to continue and so we you know decided to replace him he was a wonderful actor and but we had to replace him and it was new york city and we figured we would find someone and we had a believe it or not we had a very hard time finding somebody um because they had to be someone who could go in at the last minute and learn the entire score learn the entire show and it's and it's a it's a lot to learn right we had a lot we had auditions and we saw a lot of people but no one was no one was perfect and then the musical director who was going to have to teach the score was going to be leaving town soon. So how is an actor going to learn the score? And if we weren't able to find that actor, the show was going to have to close on schedule, but not extend because of the Times review. Which would have just been a heartbreak. Which would have been a heartbreak. So the producer called me into his office after we were not having any luck and said he had an idea of who should take over the role. And I said, who? And he said, you. And I, immediately the first thing out of my mouth was, no way, no way. There is no way I'm going to do this because I hadn't performed. At that point, I hadn't performed in at least a decade. And I had never even imagined playing the part. And did part of you when they said you? I mean, I know your first response is going to be, no way, because that that just feels like it should be the right response. But did part of you be like, me, I can do this? Well, it took a while. You know, okay. I had I, I had written the book, the music and lyrics, and that was already a lot for one person to do. Right. And I thought, my God, if I'm then on stage starring in it, that's going to really take a lot of ego. But then again, that's what show business is. You got to have a lot of ego. So I so basically, I said, but I am way too old for this part. At this point, I'm about 37 years old. And we looked at the co-star, you know, the person playing Richard Loeb, and we had just taken a bunch of photos at our opening night party. So the producer pulled up all those photos on his computer of the two of us together and said, but you look about the same age. Um, And it would make sense if Nathan's a little more mature. And, you know, frankly, I've always looked a little young for my age. And so I said, let me... I said, well, it's the genes, uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know if that still is the case, but, you know, I try every day. I, uh, I, I decided to think about it, and I talked to everybody I could think of. I talked to my agent, and I said, you know, I don't want to hurt the show. Is it better to just sort of leave it be? Because what if I damage it? And he said, you know, look, the show has already been opened. The show has already been reviewed. 
this is now going to be icing on the cake to keep it running. However, my agent knew of a lot of people that were planning on seeing it that would probably only be able to see it if it extended. So I took that into consideration. I talked to a lot of friends, some of whom were just very gung-ho saying, yes, this is sort of your destiny. I mean, did part of of the extension weigh on you just because going, you know, if it's extended, there's more visibility of this. I mean, the more people see eyes on it. Totally. And, you know, some friends were very worried for me knowing I hadn't performed in a long time. And And let me ask you this, to the playbill, how much did it give? Because if people are vaguely familiar with the story, they may not, because even Leb was, I think he was the youngest person ever accepted the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. when he yes. went so it's not like either one of them were dummies but i mean a, a lot of no. people may only know of the crime and not of their ages so i mean i just don't right. know how, it, it, was that also did you ever be like yeah you know they're sitting 30 feet away they can't see me i mean well, we got makeup. well they, they were a little closer but no it, it, it the issue is as long as you sort of come across as youngish guys that look about the same age it kind of works right. it's been you know and since then it's been done with you know, actors that are closer to the age of 19, actors that are a little older. It, it's just sort of this, you know, and it takes place in the 20s right. where you're wearing suits, so everybody looked older then. So I, I I got past the how I would look in it. It was just a matter of do I have the talent for it. Right. And I finally, I, I had to talk to my, who ended up being my co-star, the actor playing Richard Lowe, because he was a fantastic actor who I later went on to see in Les Mis on Broadway, he played Marius, um, and he was just so wonderful. And I was afraid to go on stage with him because he was very professional and just wonderful in the role. And I thought he is going to eat me for breakfast up on that stage. And I was worried that he wouldn't be willing to extend the show if he was going to have to play opposite someone who hadn't performed in a long time. But he was willing. And that gave me a lot of confidence. So I said yes. And a few weeks later, I was now starring in Thrill Me, and the whole show was happening around me, and I was trying to keep up with my incredible co-star, and it was like running a marathon every night, and it was exhilarating. So how many shows and a week do you do in Off-Broadway? Eight shows a week. And that's... Eight shows a week. So, and how are, what is that like? Uh, how's that laid out? Are there any days off then? Yes, there's uh, Mondays off. So Mondays it's, off. It's... It's uh, six evenings and uh, two or three matinees. It depends. Different schedules can vary. You, okay. We did, I believe, evenings and then a matinee on Wednesday, a matinee on Saturday, and a matinee on Sunday. Okay. And then uh, uh, luckily the show continued to be well-received, and we extended again and again. And So what was the total run length at this point? The total run length was 14 weeks. So nice. it, it, it was more than double what the original run was supposed to be. And during this time, during the time of the extension, um, people from all over ended up seeing it, a producer that would later produce it in Los Angeles. And, and if a producer, you wouldn't have taken the role, these people wouldn't have seen it. I know, I know. And uh, the most important thing is a producer from South Korea saw it. And after we ended in New York, um, I was asked to do the show in a couple other places. I did it in Buffalo. I did it in Seattle. Um, now, how is that to travel? How was how that to travel to do your own show? I mean, it, it was really exciting. It was different because it was different productions. Um, I 
Do you think that they learned a lot working with different directors? Do they? Do you think the directors treated you differently as the actor because you were also the writer? Like, oh, I need you to do this and be like, "Mm, that's not how this part was written. I think I know this pretty well. Well, you know, we we all did our best. You know, I'm I'm sure it wasn't easy for them, and it wasn't easy for me either because I wanted to please the director, but I'm sure that. It was a weird situation, but usually it was the director who had offered me the role in the first place. So okay. it was it, it was a learning experience, and you know, and I knew that I had a shelf life on how long I could do the role because I'm I, by the last time I played it, I was already almost forty, and again, you know, I thought you know I can't do this forever, you know, so I I might as well savor it for as long as and I so can. And so, did you enjoy but, getting back in the the acting once you started acting again? Did you go, oh, you know, uh, I, I've kind of missed this. I I really love doing Thrill Me. I, you know, I had never had a big leading role before, ever. And now I had it. And it was something that I had created myself. And the the main reason that I ended up taking the part in New York was because I thought, had I kept acting, it was a role that I could have imagined myself playing. So it wasn't that crazy of a, of a character for me. It, it, it made sense. So I, I realized that I had missed it, not enough to switch careers, but I enjoyed doing the show because I felt very uh, in control. And I, I knew that I had written it. And now here I was sort of putting my my stamp on the role forever. I got to record the original cast album, which is, you know, some people call it a soundtrack, but the the album that used to be a CD, it's still a CD, but now it's a, you know, now it's digital right. uh, of, of, of the, the songs of Thrill Me that you can, you know, listen to now. You can tell, you and can tell the people where you can download it. I have downloaded can, it myself. So you can tell people you can where get, to find it. You can, you can download it from iTunes. You can download it from Amazon. You can even still buy those old fashioned CD discs on Amazon or anywhere you, anywhere you get records. Uh, I'm not so, <laughs> so sure about I that. I that. <laughs> and I so 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 that really sort of put my stamp on the role sort of forever like I was going to forever be the voice of it right and uh and so I will tell you I have exciting. seen pictures of you in the role and you I mean I wouldn't even knowing the story I and I do think now that you mention it because you're in the the photographs typically are you and the other actor and because you all your ages correlate to each other they don't i i I didn't find that i i I never even gave that second thought because i knew their ages i know their ages so but when i see your picture and i i I don't so i i think it worked great but yeah well thank you and not only that you know my age right because we're that we're the same age right so i did that and it was wonderful and so while i was doing the show in other cities it, the show was being prepared in South Korea. So this is about 2007. And I I knew that the deal had been negotiated and I just imagined it was going to be something similar to our off-Broadway production where it would run 14 weeks. Now, is well, it going into a theater size? The, do they term, like, is that a universal, like off-off-Broadway, off-Broadway, like those sizes, is that universal terms for theater? No, okay. not. I mean, you could sort of say a Broadway sized theater or an off Broadway sized theater and people would sort of know what that is. But once you get into other countries, they don't use those terms. It's just theater. So then what so, was what was South Korea? What what size were they doing? South production? Korea was like Broadway. Sized. OK, wow. And so 
thinking it would be roughly a 14 week run, I can tell you that it is now in its 14th year and playing tonight. You could go to see it in South Korea tonight. And it has still been running and became a surprise to me, giant hit in South Korea. And that have you have you been in, have you been to yes. South Korea? Yes, I went for the opening of the third year. They moved it to a brand new theater, and I went. And and I'm not a big traveler, so it was a big deal for me to get on that airplane and go to South Korea. But it was it was just unbelievable to me. I mean, it was like I was in a Broadway sized theater and seeing this breathtaking production of the show performed in Korean. I mean, I I knew what they were saying, so I understood it. And, a, and an audience full of Korean, mostly younger women who became huge fans of the show. And they treated me like I was a big celebrity. And it was it was very exciting. And since then, the show has been, went to, has been new productions of the show, or different productions of the show by the same producers have been done in Tokyo. And I went to Tokyo. There, it's even bigger. It's like a bigger Broadway theater. And that's been playing on and off. They sort of do the show annually for about, eight years now now recently i and i left social media for the most part about a year ago which mm -hmm. i guess starting a podcast i probably should hop back on there at some point but probably anyway i went you did so i still have my account so i can still go in and view them if i want it and i went and looked they have merchandise yeah that was so cool i saw that and it's like i and i don't the like the the little figurine type i don't know what they're called i mean a figurine is probably yes oh okay so uh but i was like that is so cool that something you created now has figurines or exactly that's from shanghai the show just started in shanghai last year and uh same same producer or different same producer okay same producer, the, the one producer for all of Asia. Okay. And so now it's been uh, running for about a year now in Shanghai, and we just signed on for another three years. And, and they sell, you know, souvenirs at the merchandise stand. That's also something they do on Broadway. But uh, yesterday, as you saw on my social media, I got a great big box from China, and I have a huge box of about 40 of these Leopold and Loeb figurines and enamel pins and magnets so do you have that like on an instagram books. account or anything do you want to tell anyone what your instagram account is because they can go find these at some point when this podcast yes plays. my instagram is a oh, hold on my 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 phone is giving me an alarm that i'm gonna stop uh, my uh, instagram is uh, at steven dolganoff s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-o-l-g-i-n-o-f-f okay great and i'm on and i'm on facebook under my name steven dolganoff steven with a p-h-e-n Okay. So, uh, yeah, that was cool to the, see that the, the figurines and there was like a wallet in there or something. And, I mean, that, all that stuff was cool to see. And I mean, uh, it was yeah. cool to see to me and it's, and I just like know you and know you've created, I mean, I can't imagine you should have done like one of those videos of you opening the box and seeing your face when <laughs> everything came out. When I, when I think back to when I was in this very apartment that I'm standing in now talking to you, writing thrill me, I never imagined that I would be opening up a box of thrill me figurines and thrill me wallets and thrill me uh pins and thrill me magnets and thrill me you know lots of other mugs right. and t-shirts i never imagined so it's very exciting and in addition to asia it's done all over the world there's productions in germany the czech republic there's a wonderful production right now in poland and as a matter of fact you might have heard that broadway is reopening i have 
this past week for the most part. And I haven't been back to see any Broadway shows. The last one I went to was like the day before New York shut down, which was around March 15th of 2020. But coincidentally, there is a tiny, tiny little theater company that is doing an off-off Broadway production of Thrill Me, not 50 feet from my house. Really? And that will be the first show that I see after the pandemic will be my own show, Thrill Me. It's opening at the end of this month for four performances, and I and I cannot so wait only... to see it. I think it's very poetic. <laughs> so, okay. Well, I'll have to drop that hint to my wife also that that's going to be playing. <laughs> so, that it is was cool. done, it, was now, done, it was done in Kansas City a few years ago. I want to say, oh, well, you know, now it was maybe about 10 years ago that it was done in Kansas City. Maybe it's time, maybe it's time someone brought it back there. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how theater does here. Now, I, before I forget this question, I was going to ask you. Sure. When you go as a, a, a consumer to a mm-hmm. uh, to a Broadway show or off-Broadway, it doesn't matter what, uh, do you give it a more critical eye or are you less critical because you know of the background? Or you're, Like sometimes like ba- back in college, I used to wait tables and bartend. So there are some times where I will give people – you know, because I've done that job, I could see them and I'd be like, oh, well, they suck or they're, re- you know, mm-hmm. they're really in the weeds right now or whatever the case may be. I mean, how are you with a critical eye when you go and see see plays that aren't your own, musicals that aren't your own? It depends. You know, I'm generally more critical of musicals and far more forgiving of plays. And we can talk about the difference between the two if you want in a moment. But I tend to try to just enjoy because Broadway can be very expensive and some, you know, I'll usually have, uh, you know, friends that have some involvement in a show sometimes. And I try to just enjoy, but I'm, I'm critical of the musical. And I think that's only natural. I think everybody is because I always see how, how would I have written that? What would I have done? And sometimes I think, wow, I, I could have never written anything like that. I, I, I wish I could. And sometimes I'll see something where I'll think, Hmm, I think I might've, you know, had a better idea for the second act, but who who am I to say? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I just don't, I don't get it. I mean, the only way I would be able to write a play is if I had a time machine could go back and see the play, write it as I'm watching the play and then go back. I, I, I just can't even wrap my head around how you do that. And, and that's why I was asking about that critical part is that, I would, for me, on things that I, I'm familiar with, I can be extremely critical or I can be very forgiving too. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's why I was wondering. So what do you mean the difference between the musical and the play? Is, uh, meaning well, how you see it critically or? How I see it critically. Well, you know, uh, plays are obviously different than a musical because a play has no songs and a play is more like uh you know, similar to something you might maybe see on television or might see in the movies. And it's, you know, while there's all different styles of plays, of course, but generally they're sort of a slice of real life, at least the kinds of plays that I tend to enjoy. Whereas a musical can take you into fantasy and can take you sort of deeper into a character's mind because when they're singing, you know, that can be their inner thoughts. So, um, and you know, and most people uh, tend to see musicals more than plays because 
out in a lot of the country, the Broadway musicals are the ones that tour and come to your local theaters. And, you know, usually high schools will do musicals. So a lot of people are more exposed to musicals when they see theater. So uh, that's why, you know, I, I sort of think they're, they're a little different. I mean, it's all theater. Right. Now, how do you think small theater, when, when I was growing up in Kansas City, there were, I think there were two, like, dinner house theaters. Right, right. I remember those. And I, I mean, this would have been, like, early 70s. There was one, like, in the Waldo area of Kansas City. I want to say it was called the Waldorf Astoria, but dinner theater. And then there was also an, another one that I, I forget. Uh, and I think there's only one now, the new theater in Kansas, uh, in Overland Park. But I mean, that's right. how do you see those, those small, I know that Thurman probably wouldn't go to the new theater. I don't know about that. But I mean, how do you see those small theaters surviving mm-hmm. like through the whole pandemic and everything? Because you're saying how, how Broadway's reopening. And I know that that was a challenge for even something as strong Very. as Broadway to go through yes. all this. So all these small dinner theaters, because, you know, I've, I've asked my wife, I was like, uh, I, I think that the new theater it was showing something with Elvis. I mean, it was some, I don't know. And I was like, I, I love Elvis. I love his songs. And I always loved how it sung through all of his movies. And so <laughs> I, I wanted to go, but we didn't go. And we find that like every once in a while, I'll see something. I'll be like, Oh, that, that, that might be fun to go to a dinner theater. But you know, it, it, it just seems like, our, even our age, where we're at now in our 50s, that I, I don't feel like I'm the type of crowd. Even though I grew up doing that, I just don't feel mm-hmm. drawn to, like, the dinner theater part of it. And there's a few small playhouses that we've gone to. My parents used to do they, – they would get season tickets to, like, local mm-hmm. small playhouses. And we right. would go with them. They'd always get four tickets hoping to, to take another couple. And when they couldn't, my wife and I would go with them. But how do you see – small theaters like that doing coming out of this pandemic? Are they doing all right? Well, it depends on the area. It depends on the state. You know, just about, you know, back when the pandemic started, it was pretty much universal across the United States, pretty much the world that, that you couldn't have, a, you couldn't have theater. Uh, it was just too dangerous for everybody. Right. Uh, so I really don't know how they're doing. You know, a lot of places are coming back. A lot of places have restrictions. It's, it's a difficult situation. I will tell you about those theaters in Kansas city that you remember those two dinner theaters were considered world-class and they really were, they were. Do you remember the name of the other one? I want to say it was Tiffany something. It was, it, it was the Waldo Astoria, Waldo. which is sort of a takeoff on the famous New York. See, and that's why I was Waldorf thrown off Astoria. because I was like, I know of the Waldorf Astoria and that's why it didn't yes. seem like that. So Waldo, and that makes sense because it's in the Waldo area of Kansas City. Right. So and then the other one was idiot. called Tiffany. No, no. <laughs> the other one was called Tiffany's Attic. Tiffany's Attic. Yes. So I, I then, think Waldo we went to occasionally, but I think Tiffany's Attic is where we used to, because I remember I would hear the word Tiffany's Attic and then you would hear a collective moan from me and my sister. Well, the Waldo Astoria is where I saw my very first play. Wow. So it has a, has a, has a, a soft spot in my heart and both of those uh, closed down so they could open what you referred to as the new theater. And that's the name of it, the new theater, but that's right. basically those two theaters combined into one. And that theater uh, is a world-class dinner theater with world-class food and world-class entertainment. Uh, 
there aren't that many dinner theaters left in the United States and they sort of have sort of a, they used to have sort of a tacky reputation, but not the one that you are at. You should have gone to see that Elvis musical. And I highly recommend that you go to the next thing you can find there because I bet you'll have a good time. I'm sure we will. And and theaters need you because, you know, everyone's, you know, it's such a, it's such a rough time. If you, if you are ever thinking about going to a theater, this is the time to go. Yeah, and you know, it. and I think about that, and that's when I become. So you remember Metcalf South Shopping Center? Yes, here in Overland Park. So it's no longer there, and it's funny because I, I tell my wife, I'm like, "Oh my god, if it was still there, I would get a part time." Because I grew up, you know, I I lived right behind the mall. I I grew up inside that mall. I I ran around that mall. You know, the 70s and 80s, your parents would be like, "Okay, see you at dinner time, or be home before dark, or whatever." And so like, right. we, we're doing whatever. And I keep telling my wife, I'm like. You know, I I wish it was there. I would get a part time job just so I could be in the mall and remember that atmosphere. And she goes, "The mall's not there because you wouldn't go." Like when it was still there and open, I I, I didn't go anymore. It just it had no right. appeal to me. It was when it was gone, and I don't mm-hmm. want that to happen with with dinner theaters. So that that is a great point that you have. So anyone that listens to this, if you get a chance, and they are great shows, you can find something that you're going to like or be interested in, or at least be entertained. So I, I, I do agree with you because you're, you're hundred percent right that, that the time that I'm going to wa- really want to go just like going to the mall is going to be when they're gone. And that's the wrong time. That's to right. Go. So that's a Absolutely. great point. So, okay. So we have thrilling. Now, one thing that we did talk about earlier this week also is that you are kind of in the, the, where you're at now is kind of where you're just seeing your, creations put on by companies is that correct so you're kind of just overseeing in that and and that's fulfilling for you for to see thrill me put in all i mean i can just imagine i mean just all the different spots you could put on a map put a pin in that's that's played it's been 22 countries 14 languages about 200 productions so far and they also have a musical called Flames, which has been done uh, here and there. It was done in London, and it's now also running in Shanghai, uh, simultaneous with Thrill Me in Shanghai, a beautiful production. That is an original mystery suspense thriller, not based on a true story. I also have a musical called Panic that's being done, and that is the story behind Orson Welles' famous war of the world's radio broadcast and then i have a now you created so I, I remember reading that so you created the the character didn't weren't you originally the character orson wells we yes there were I, I i've written two different versions of panic one that i wasn't very happy with a version that had had a few productions wonderful productions i just wasn't happy with my script while one was done in iowa one was done in new jersey one was done uh in wisconsin and i'm not thinking of the other one at the moment but there was another one and i had the opportunity here in new york to do a premiere of panic here and i decided to rewrite the script and in part of the rewrites um it made sense for me to try to see if i could play orson wells myself which was crazy because I'm nothing like Orson Welles, but it made sense for that production. And so I did get to originate the role of Orson Welles. And then I also have a musical called Monster Makers, which is three little mini musicals in one that tell behind the scenes stories of some famous horror movies. And in the little mini production that we did in New York, I also played the role 
the triple role of Boris Karloff, Peter Cushing, and the silent film star who played Nosferatu in that silent film version of Dracula. So I right. played him. And but it wasn't was really a silent fun. film version of Dracula because he would have been sued by Bram Stoker, I believe. Exactly. And that's the story that is told in Monster Makers. You knew exactly what I was oh, talking about. Yeah, so, and yeah. that had a wonderful production in, uh, there was a great production of that in in uh, Ohio. And then there was a wonderful production in the United Kingdom that was planning to move to London, but then the pandemic hit. So hopefully that'll that'll get going again that, to, to me just because i i loved horror films still do love horror films but i mean that those type of you know boris Carler, any of those that's just our era i remember going to the to the library and then checking out books and reading about mm-hmm. the characters and the actors that played those characters because that's what you had to do oh, back yeah. then go to a library that's and right. check books out but so Monster Makers holds a special interest to me at some point because I, I think that's a, gr- a great story and I'm very interested in that. So, but Stephen, I am so glad that you've been on the show. I was going to talk to you about so many Thank other you. things, and we never got well, around I'll to, to them. Come, I'll have to come back next time. You will, and I am so glad. And and you know, we can also talk about non theater things too, which we may have sure. to do because. Just you and I have a lot of catching up to do over the last 30 years. And, you know, me spending most of that time still in the Midwest, you spending almost all of that time probably on the East Coast. I mean, there there are things that I want to catch up on you about as well. But I am so glad that you were able to come on the the show and – and and all the information because like I said, I feel dumb. I mean, when I I told you I didn't think that I'd ever seen a play, I'm – probably glad we were not face to face because the disdain <laughs> or the, the look that you would have had on your face probably would have hurt my soul um because just your response you're like i think it was just like really or something and i'm just like but you know i just and, and that's one of my problems is i will segregate things because that's in i will just I, I don't think of things kind of overlapping sometimes, and I guess I did that. So thank you for coming on the show, explaining that to me, explaining Break a Leg. I really appreciate that as well. So, um, Well, but, it's my pleasure. I've really enjoyed this talk, and I can't wait for more, and I can't wait to hear your entire podcast series. I know it's going to be very exciting. Okay. Stephen, thank you so much. Uh, any other? Do you want to pitch out your uh, website or any of your accounts again before we sign off? Sure. Sure, you can look up information about everything that we've talked about at stephendolganoff.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-D-O-L-G-I-N-O-F-F, as in Frank, dot com. That's awesome. And next time I want to talk to you about, because I remember, and we've talked about this before, you have amazing photos with amazing stars that I need to discuss <laughs> with you. So we will okay. do that next time. So, Stephen, once Sounds again, good. thank you so much for being on the show, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. So everyone else, I want to thank Stephen so much for being on the show today, and it has been a lot of fun. We're going to talk to him again really soon. So once again, thank you all so much. This is Ro for The Ro Ro Show.